tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters 39, 40, and 41, in which, taking place exactly after the last episode, chapter, what have you, Simon is excited to see Baz. Stealing shit from the mage's office. But after seeing the photo of baby Baz, he decides not to rat Baz out and ask him to come back to their room to talk, finally telling Baz about his mom and the message to find her killer. They have a heated moment broken by Penny's arrival. Baz leaves and Penny tells Simon that her brother Pramel came by under the mage's orders to search the house, upsetting her mom. Penny and Simon argued about what the fuck the mage is doing, with Penny understandably unconvinced that the mage has her fam's best interest at heart. Chapter 40. Uh, Baz. Baz is pissed at Penny, understandably, and goes to the catacombs to hunt, visit his mother's tomb, and have a good cry. He stays in the catacombs until he is done being upset and goes back to the room where Simon tells him that he is going to help Baz avenge his mom because it's the right thing to do and there is no other reason at all Simon would do that. Not a single other reason. (laughs) Chapter 41, Lucy. Lucy is still around, a wisp of a ghost, still talking to Simon and telling her very sad story. And this is officially the end of book two in this whole book. Reminder, we are spoiling spoiling everything through the end of this book, but nothing from Wayward Son. Uh, Also a reminder to please go leave us a glowing review wherever you can leave reviews because it helps people decide to listen to this podcast and we want more people to listen to this podcast because it's real good. So uh, with that, we are going to enter... Easy come, easy go, where we talk about all the things that don't belong anywhere else. Uh, do you want me to start off? Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, my first thing is on the first page of chapter 39, I just want to read out these three sentences because of how perfect they are. <clears throat> but the look on Baz's face in that picture smiling just because he was happy, with cheeks like red apples, and the look on his face when he saw it, like someone blew a horn and his walls crumbled. Like, that is just chef's kiss. Yes, I just love everything about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's real good writing. Just a really good description of just how wrecked this photo has made Bass, which is also like crying emoji. But that's a real, it's a real good sentence. That's all. I yeah, say. no, it, it really is. <sighs> I only have one thing from the first chapter, which is just that I, I love that Simon and Penny have like a legit pact about telling each other everything. I think that's really cute. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was just like, this is this is great. This is very sweet. Like, you know, they made that pact when they were 11 and now they're like 18 and they're still honoring it. And that's just really tender and touching. Yeah. And especially for something as sort of intense as what the fuck the mage is doing and his fucking shitty motives. Yeah. And like Penny promised her mom that she wouldn't tell, but her pact with Simon like holds more weight in her heart than a promise to her mom. Like, that's friendship. I know. And, like, you know, Simon isn't... Simon obviously isn't going to tell anyone. And, like, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't even tell the mage if asked about it. So it's, like, you know... Just that, like, rock-solid trust is very... Because, like, she knows Simon's, like, not going to 
fucking say anything, even though they're having this sort of interpersonal tiff about it a little bit. Right, right. He says he wants to tell the mage, but she knows that once she's like, you can't do that. Similarly, his loyalty to her is going to be higher than his loyalty to the mage. So they just like are really putting each other first. And it's this is really sweet. It's so great. So I have my only other thing in this chapter is that in Simon's description of what Natasha told him to tell Baz, he mentions that like she kissed his forehead and I'm like, my dude, you totally missed your chance to kiss Baz's forehead in this chapter. And I know that y'all were on some, like, masculinity, we only touch when we're angry kind of bullshit, but, like, <laughs> no risk, no reward, dude. Yeah. Baz's mom was trying to set you up, and now <laughs> you've gone and missed the opportunity. <laughs> so, you really... You really blew it. You got to ride out the slow bird with the rest of us now. I know, there's like 150 more pages now until you get your fucking moment. <laughs> How dare you, Simon? Uh, I mean, the moment itself is pretty great, but yes, it definitely is going to be a while. Yep. We get our first glimmer of the fact that Baz really respects Penny in his chapter. I forgot what word he uses to describe her, but like, you know, he's mad at her, but though he's like trust bunts to be able to get past this thing that i didn't think anybody could get past like she would and you're like oh you like her (laughs) Uh, at the very least you hold a place of honor for her you know it is very much a grudging respect he says that she is incessantly fiendish (laughs) Mm. (laughs) yeah Which, of course, what 18-year-old uses fiendish? But, like, also this is, I mean, it all makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, and from Baz, I feel like that's a huge compliment. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, I actually, I don't have any uh, easy come, easy go for this chapter. And I just really have a perpetual, always forever sad face for Lucy. (laughs) Yeah. So, her chapter, if you're not reading along with us, is, like half a page long and it is just crushing yeah she's she's so tragic you know i have a few left yeah yeah yeah. so baz was the only kid that was turned in the nursery attack Mm -hmm. which i think begs the question did the mage issue orders for them to turn baz oh probably because it seems it seems weird that they would like have only turned one kid. And the fact that that one kid is the headmaster's son slash heir to this, like, two old money families. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, like, too coincidental for it to not be totally already plotted out by the mage to take out his, you know. His enemy's bloodline. Yes. Yeah. All right. Tiny rant. Why does the school soap smell like... (laughs) hospital (laughs) uh you know that is (laughs) the mage just buys it at wherever the fuck the hospital's like even though i guess i was imagining it being a bar of soap but now i'm just like is it just like the industrial like hospital like shower gel because that seems I just feel like, wouldn't (laughs) this magical world be providing, like, artisanal fancy soap? Like, the fucking mattresses are stuffed with down, and the the food is very sort of Ren (laughs) Faire-esque, and (laughs) it, it just seems like, I know that this is a much more modern magical world and much more integrated, but it seems like Watford is a little bit more still in medieval times and that they would be sourcing some sort of like fancier soaps also a lot of these kids are fucking rich like most of the magical kids are fucking rich yeah so and i agree with you which is why what i think is that i'm sure before the mage the school soap was some like fancy artisanal goat Mm. milk and herb whatever but the mage is like no fuck that expense we're just gonna here is a like industrial vat of like shower gel that I got off the internet. <laughs> like, all the rich kids probably bring their own soap anyway, so these probably just or at like... least they do now. <laughs> so, yeah, 
You're right. We can add it to the checklist of reasons that the mage sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there was probably definitely some complaining about being like, okay, so then where is the money from Fancy Soap going? The mage is like, don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause he's the worst. Ooh, all right. Last thing. Uh, so Simon at the end of Baz's chapter, when he says that he's gonna help Baz avenge his mom, uh, he says they killed her in front of you, and that's wrong. And you know, Simon is a chosen one, so he has a similar vibe to many other chosen ones, including Buffy. <laughs> And it made me think about when the body swap happens. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly what I was also thinking when I read that. Listeners who maybe aren't like as quick to to recognize (laughs) Buffy scenes. Faith takes over Buffy's body and spends like five minutes like looking at herself in the mirror. Just going. You can't do that. It's wrong. You can't do that. Because it's naughty. Because it's wrong. Because it's wrong. It's a very, very beautiful, like, look how full of herself Buffy is moment. And that just, that's how Simon said it in my head. So, I'm no. glad that you had the same the same experience. No, 110%. All right. So, <laughs> we are going to enter... I see a little silhouette of a man where we talk about character development, by which I mean we're going to talk about Baz's depression. Uh, I mean, obviously, starting with that line that you that you quoted at the beginning, because that's really like the tone that sets up, you know, Baz for this series of chapters. Someone blew a horn and all his walls crumbled. It's just like so in Simon's chapter. Everything about the way that Baz is receiving this information is heartbreaking. But then when we get into Baz's chapter and we're getting, I mean, he describes his baby self as a chubby, lucky bag of blood (laughs) and then goes on to talk about how he, how his mom would have killed him and how someone should kill him. And he firmly believes that the right thing to do would be for someone to off him because he's a vampire. You know, actually, I do have notes about this because I feel like we get glimpses of his sort of, I don't know if I, don't know if I want to call it like suicide ideation when he's just like, oh yeah, Simon's going to kill me. That, that'll be fine. And I'm like, what my dude? But I think in this chapter, I feel like his feelings that his mom would have killed him for being a vampire and that there's but him being a vampire and growing to be a vampire is like deeply wrong and i think that it's sort of this passage about like his mom would have killed you know would have killed me this is this is the right thing to do sort of puts a bit more context for his sort of suicide ideation that happens mm-hmm. i mean i feel like almost until the like the last third of the book basically yeah like totally. on and off yeah i mean that must be that must be just like so incredibly hard to carry around, especially because he can't process it with anyone who knew his mom. So if he is wrong, there's no one to tell him. Yeah, which I feel like it does not seem like Natasha Grimpitch would kill her son for being a vampire. I mean, I mean, I don't know. But like, her like her firstborn kid like the heir to this family where family is like important it seems unlikely at least so but you're right there like there isn't anyone maybe to talk baz through that if he were ever to bring that up you know which he doesn't because he's like they don't even talk about me being a vampire let alone this whole thing about like should you have just left me in the sunlight or whatever the or like you know whatever terrible yeah thing yeah yeah, so that's a nice transition into the fact that his family just straight up ignores the fact that he's a vampire. This we knew that, but I feel like the information that we get about it in this chapter where it's like his dad wouldn't have reacted if he'd caught Baz like killing the maid and like I mean Baz says that his dad's reaction would have been like 
change your clothes before dinner, you'll upset your stepmother. And that's such a, you know, peek behind the the walls of how Baz has been raised, where it's just like, that's unseemly. We're just not even going to acknowledge it. And just what a fucking nightmare of a way to grow up. Yeah, it does make me wonder how he was obtaining blood before he could, like, essentially hunt for himself if he was turned when he was five. So it sounds like from the way he describes it in this chapter, it manifests at puberty. That's fair. You're right. I'm, like, literally looking at that passage. Never mind. So I guess maybe to also go along with it, in the same passage about even as much as they don't talk about him being a vampire it's like the way that you know at least he said that his dad feels about him being queer it just feels very much like he'd be upset if i was gay as if i was a vampire but i'm a gay vampire so it's like so, so it's like even worse i mean he says that his dad is more upset that he's gay than that he's a vampire like he his dad would would have been what is it like his dad wouldn't have cared if he'd caught him draining the maid's blood, but would have been happy if he'd caught him sleeping with the maid because he's more upset about Baz being queer. As if it matters, like assuming that the issue is that like he's the son and heir to the, you know, grim pitch throne. And so they want him to reproduce like he's dead. I don't think that he can give them grandchildren even if he wasn't gay and also even if he was gay if it was that important like there are still ways that he could have a kid so yeah and he has siblings but they're not pitches true and i think the pitch the pitch line is the important one fair like fiona could solve the problem fiona could have a child and that would that would solve the problem but you know she isn't (laughs) going to and also should not (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, that is definitely not her vibe uh, <laughs> no. at all. No. Um, yeah, definitely someone who does not seem like she's in a place to care for a child. Although, you know what? Courtney Love is a fine mom. And if she can do it, Fiona could do it. Fair. They have a similar vibe, I feel like. <laughs> you know what? I can I can respect that, yeah. Fiona definitely listened to a lot of Hole. Is what? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. She probably went through a phase of wearing nothing but slips and combat boots, which, same. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know where we're at, because I'm just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Baz being gay. Baz needing so much therapy. Is what I think we're yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, your family sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry so much. Yes. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. What do you have first? I mean, basically everything I have is about uh, Primel and Penny and her mom and that whole situation. All right, so I have a mini one. Oh, okay, yeah. In addition to that, so let, I want to do that first. Yeah, let's start, let's, start, let's, start, let's start that one off. So Penny says that her mom said that she would be damned to slough before she would let the mage search her house. (laughs) I was like, the fuck does that mean? So I did a bunch of research and learned that slough is a town in the UK that is quote unquote a laughing stock. Uh, it's where the British version of The Office is set, which is apparently did not help its reputation. Also, there's like a shitty poem making fun of the city from 1937. And everyone's like, it's ugly. And like, there's nothing special about it. But like 100% at least part but probably a significant amount of the reason that people are shitty about this city is that it's one of the most ethnically diverse areas in the uk and no one wants to like own the fact that they're being super fucking racist okay but that that term is like that's not a thing that is said in the uk like the uh, 
I'll be damned to slough, but like it is used in that way. And I just think that's really fucked up. I think it's a really fucked up thing to put in your book without thinking about it or like looking into it, even if you're like British point of reference person for writing your book is like, yeah, slough sucks. You should probably figure out why they think that. It it feels a little bit like when people talk shit about the South, when it's like a lot of things people talk shit about is because it is full of black people and that the white rich people are fucking fucking it up for everyone kind of deal. And it's like, maybe you should real examine when you talk shit about the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the Midwest, which is also full of people of color. Anyway. Yeah. And I also would like just, I want to just speak on behalf. I would like to speak up for Slough because I learned that for three years in a row, it has been rated by Glassdoor to be the best place in the UK to get a job in terms of both job satisfaction and cost of living. So everyone should shut up and, you know, move to Slough if you appreciate fucking diversity and also (laughs) being able to afford a place to live and having a good job. Anyway, don't be damned to Slough. Happily move to Slough. (laughs) And now we can talk about the mage and Primal and all of that. That was a really great diversion, though. I I appreciated that small political thing. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Kick us off, please. Look <laughs> how mom references the sound of music. Yes. She's like, you know, not having her son show up like he's Ralph in the sound of music. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, uh, yeah, that is the tone of our, of, uh, you know, Primal coming to toss his family home like they're a bunch of criminals and it's like dude what are you doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what is the mage fucking telling you (laughs) and i feel like and i feel like all penny's mom's points are like correct yeah i wrote penny's mom knows her rights get it (laughs) metali wait is that is that her mom's name because i'm like yeah yeah so yeah, she's definitely like I've read the ACLU know your rights thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one of the one of the things from her library that would be confiscated is like a stack of zines about <laughs> what to do <laughs> if the cops show up at your door. <laughs> uh... Yeah, and she calls Pramil a Nazi and a fascist, which like yeah and also that must be so awful to have that be your kid yeah i mean i feel like i think about that a lot people who are like whose kids turn out to be like neo-nazis or trolls or like proud boys or whatever cops and i'm like at some point you have to just be like who the fuck is this person what are you fucking doing with like the life that i have created for you ideally and you're just like I'm gonna join the mage in fucking trash people's houses looking for shit. And it's like, you're not like, you're not even a cop. Like, what? I mean, basically, he's a cop, but. He is a cop, yeah. Yeah. And he has like the mind frame of like being a cop where Petty's mom is like, uh, come back when you have a warrant. And he's like, we're at war. And I'm like, bro. Yeah. Like, you've lived in this house your entire life. I'm sure you know what is in the house. Like, what is this achieving? Yeah, that's a great question. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Like, he knows exactly what they're there to confiscate. He could beeline for the things that the mage is looking for. So it's like his whole thing about it's just routine. Like, you don't have anything to hide. Like, that's just performance for his coworkers because he knows exactly what he's going to find. Which is like an even more of a reason for everyone to be pissed at him to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Right. Yeah. And it's like, I feel bad for Penny because she's just like, this is my brother being a complete baby fascist for, I don't want to say like no goddamn reason, but kind of. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly not how they were raised. It's like the opposite of how they were raised. I don't know. It's like I don't evidence of how power corrupts, I guess, in some ways and, and evidence of like how effective a manipulator the mage is, because I would assume that Primal joined the mage's men under the pretense of, you know, wanting to 
do good, right? And yeah. before before things escalated to this point, I think the mage was better at selling people on sort of his idealistic I'm just like making reforms that make things like more equal. And Matali has always been on to him because she went to school with him and she like hasn't liked him from jump. But that wouldn't necessarily be enough to make Pramil be like, no, like, because I think on the surface, it, it would be easy before the mage started doing things like raiding people's houses to feel like Pramil's parents and the mage were sort of had the same morals, you know? Yeah. And so it wouldn't feel like such a huge betrayal. And then if you're like in it and this stuff sort of like creeps up on it, on you. I mean, the mage is a cult leader. Like Primo might be legit be brainwashed. Yeah, I mean, I and I feel like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I must have talked about this in like an earlier episode, but I feel like a similar thing happens with white supremacists radicalizing like young white dudes on the internet, where it's like Maybe you're sad or angry because you're like you're a young adult and the world is shitty and like maybe you have some like, you know, things that you're understandably angry and sad about and then like you get talking to folks on the internet about it and they're like, you know, really there for you and then all of a sudden it's like, you know what the problem is? Immigrants and black people. And then like by that time you're like, yo, well, you haven't steered me wrong now and like I am a sad white dude. Maybe you're right. Maybe we just do need to get rid of all the immigrants and my life will be great. And it's like, and like, not that I totally understand that, but for your mind, I'm just like, do what the fuck. But I think that I feel like knowing that about real life fascist white supremacists makes me think that makes me more likely to think that the mages men are probably like young magicians who are like angry or sad about something or whatever. Or there's like, you know, fucking teenagers and you're like having a lot of feelings you're trying to figure out who the fuck you are and the mage is like let me tell you let me give you a purpose and like a point in life really kind of like you know be there for you emotionally and then oh by the way everyone's your enemy but me <laughs> and at that right. point you're like yeah sure so it is i mean kind of like being a cult leader but also like radicalizing these guys for his nefarious fucking mate you know his nefarious plan yeah i mean i think that i think you're right on both counts i think it's more like being a cult leader because the mage has ulterior motives that his like his quote-unquote his men don't know why they're doing this like he's lying to them we know by the end of the book that what he's actually looking for is a cure for simon and Mm -hmm. like most most of the rest of it is performance and just him being like remember i'm in power but like i think his men legitimately think they're doing this for a good reason so i think that is sort of the more culty part of it but i do i think you're totally right i'm not sure how we would what it looks like in this in this world you know what makes them feel disenfranchised but i feel like the idea like this is sort of the whole like white supremacy and the patriarchy hurt everyone Mm -hmm. thing where it's like young I mean in the US at least young white men specifically grow up with this implicit promise of power and of success and so if they come into adulthood feeling like they're marginalized because they're not achieving the success that they have been promised that they are owed it makes sense that they're just like looking for anyone to blame that on because like the only alternative is blaming it on themselves. If no one can like help them see that the blame actually rests on the systems of power that made them believe that promise in the first place. Yeah. It's like there, there's a real clear solution. It's like, it's not, it is neither your fault nor immigrants faults, nor anyone's fault. It is the system's fault but, like, if you can't see that, it's really easy for, like, someone on Reddit or whatever to be like, well, your frustration has to go somewhere and I'm going to take this opportunity to, like, share my evil prejudice with you so that you can join me in blaming the absolute wrong people for the way that you're feeling. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot 
I'm going to bring the Gailey Prophet into this for a moment. I've been thinking a lot about things that come up frequently on the Gailey Prophet where it'll be like, especially with the werewolf thing, it's come up with us, but also with guests several times where it's like, of course, the werewolves join Voldemort. Like they've been so shit on by the wizarding community. And I always have this really gross feeling when I think about it. And I think that I have figured out why, which is that people who become white supremacists do so because they feel disenfranchised without actually being marginalized. I don't think that the werewolves would join Voldemort because they are actually marginalized people. And as we know, as marginalized people, legitimately marginalized people join forces and like create our own communities and become anti-fascists and like actively work to dismantle the systems of power. I think that you have to be in a position of power, but feel like you don't have power in order to become a Voldemort supporter or a mage supporter or a proud boy, right? Yeah. So I I don't think it's like, well, of course they joined Voldemort because he offered them power because like no power in this world could be like, could convince me to join a white nationalist group even if they were like we've decided that we love trans people and we're gonna offer you all the equal rights and like whatever bathroom access and blah blah (laughs) blah in the whole world that would not make me be like oh cool like sure yeah i'm here i come like yeah ready and willing yeah and like also they would never do that because of how white supremacy is definitely tied into like the idea of a like white heterosexual like gender conforming idea of having more white babies anyway um of course yeah so i i agree with all things that you're saying yeah definitely voldemort definitely seems the type to be like all right we've killed all the muggles now it's time to get rid of the other undesirables and it's like yeah no dude Right. Like, that should totally. be very obvious that it's like, oh, okay, you're going to turn on me next. Nope. <laughs> right. Hell no. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what the mage promised these guys besides, I don't know, more social standing in the world of mages. I don't fucking know. Yeah, it's really, it is really interesting. I, I do. I, I guess I just wish that I knew a little bit more about the like societal structure of this world so that we could know like what what would make a young man coming into his adulthood like fall vul- vulnerable to the kind of fascism that the mage is enacting. I guess I kind of wonder if maybe. OK, this is going to sound weird, but maybe the fact that as far everything we know about sort of how the like world of mages works in like Watford and like we're gonna assume like the UK that it's all like kind of it's a little loosey goosey because there just aren't there just aren't enough people to like make having a strict hierarchy strict structure like make any kind of sense and like mm-hmm. I don't know maybe maybe that is the attractive part it's like oh. I don't know, as opposed to being like, all right, well, this is the family I was born into. Like, this is sort of what my social circle is going to look like. It'd be like, oh, yeah, I could be one of the mages men and be like this. I have power over people and I like wear this ridiculous outfit. And it's almost like being like having like a structured club inside of a like less structured kind of like small town. Everyone knows everyone else kind of deal. Yeah. And also... You just made me realize the mage has upended the historical implicit uh, power structure of like the old families with the old money being like, you know, pseudo royalty. Mm -hmm. And so now all of these dudes from families that were not historically in power, there's an opening. And so it makes sense that like, because this has happened within their lifetime. Yeah, this is all very re- <laughs> this is all very recent. They watch these families be deposed and they get to be like, "Oh, now I get to like fight those snooty dudes that I went to, you know, kindergarten with and like burn down their yachts or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Break all their fancy antique bone china or whatever the fuck." Yeah, exactly. <sighs> St- steal all their good silver. I don't know. Yeah. 
older ostentatious. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Simon's sort of awkward defense of the mage and his actions? Mm-hmm. I do. It's just... I feel like I don't know how to quite describe how I feel about Simon's response about being like, oh, well, just let him search your house if you're innocent. It doesn't, you know, it's fine. And Penny's like, no, dude. Like, we have this huge library. Like, who the fuck knows what is in there? It feels very, like, middle-aged, middle-class liberal. Yeah. With, like, a smidge bit of, like, cop apologist on top of it. If you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to hide, so that's not the point. (laughs) Right. It's like, we have to set a precedent. (laughs) (laughs) If if only guilty people deny your right to a search, then they will continue to assume that denying your right to a search means that you're guilty. And, like, we all, we just all need to deny their right to a search. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, insert... My glove compartment's locked, so it's the trunk in the back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god. Do you know what I just found out was on the ballot in Michigan, or at least no. in Detroit, is a like, ballot proposal to make it so that the cops have to have like a search warrant to like go through your phone and like other digital stuff. And I'm like, this isn't already a law? What the actual fuck? It's not. That's why you're not supposed to have the fingerprint unlock on your phone. Because it's like if they can't get in, Apple has set a precedent that they won't give them the passcode to get into your phone. But if they can get in, they can go through your phone. I'm glad that that's on your ballot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it is. But I'm like, what? It's just, yeah. Also, let this be a PSA to all of our listeners. Do not have fingerprint or face recognition unlocking up your phone because the cops can fucking use that against you. And at the very least, you don't want the cops reading your sexts. Like, yeah, that's true. Even if you don't have anything to hide, like, you have shit in your phone you don't want the cops to read, so... Yeah. Also, that, like, that, like, thumbpick facial recognition part of your phone, like, they're just the, the old, the old suspicious, like, radical in me is, like... Oh, hell no. I don't want anyone having my fucking finger. Like, what? Anyway. Totally. Uh, wow, we got really off t- <laughs> You know what? We are educating the people on their rights. This is an incredibly important thing in this, this moment is true. in history. So we this are doing true. our jobs. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you're doing a lot of protesting, you should probably get a burner phone, which don't activate at your house. But I saw a whole thing about this where you have to, you should... Not let it cut to your home network and activate it away from your house. The cops don't know where you live if they can access your burner phone. It was very informative. Yeah, Yeah, don't take your phone to protest. Just like, full stop. Unless you're a journalist, don't take your phone to protest. Yeah. Also, write the National Lawyers Guild phone number on your arm in Sharpie before going to any protest. Pro tips. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And then Simon is like, and I mean, I feel like Prenny was a good point, which is like, Simon is like, Penny, he doesn't want to hurt your family. And Penny's like, well, who the fuck does he want to hurt? And he's like, he basically is like, the answer he gives is like, people who want to hurt us, which is basically like, I don't know what the major Right, totally. The, the bad people, you're like, Simon. Yeah, it's like, if you <laughs> took 30 seconds to think that through, you would realize that you're like, I don't actually fucking know. Right. Yeah. So. I'm really glad that he at the end of this at the very least was like all right penny like i'm gonna follow your lead on this one i know their friendship is so pure and great it really is welcome to caught in a landslide where we rant about stuff I guess the only thing that I have is I'm just like, why the fuck you gotta have gender barriers in your dorms? Everyone has magic. And I mean, I guess it was to be like, no premarital sex, but I'm like, if there's only like a hundred fucking mages in your world, it's like, does that even fucking matter? I mean, does it matter anyway? Like, these kids are having sex. This, This is not stopping them from having sex. Yeah. It's just very, I just, I just find it very ridiculous is all. And I mean, I am glad always to see Penny flexing her power, being like, I don't give a Mm -hmm. fuck about these barriers. 
But I'm also like, why the fuck have they been there in the first place? My first one is... It's actually, like, not a rant. I just felt like it was... My feeling about it is, like, too big for it to have been in the easy come, easy go section. Because the fact that Simon... Thinks and will always think that the second visiting that he had was Baz's mom again and not his mom is just so tragic. I find it so painful and I I don't know hearing him talk about it where he's describing to Baz these incredibly tender words that were meant for him and he thinks they belong to Baz. It's just so awful. Yeah it yeah, it's just like, it's like, poor Simon and poor Lucy. It just like, it didn't have to be this way. My memory is very fuzzy. He doesn't actually ever find out about Lucy being his mom, does he? At least not in this book. I don't no. know about future books. And it's just like, that's like even worse. And he doesn't find out that the mage is his dad either. Like he doesn't, he ends, he ends the book with as much information about his parentage as he begins it with. I mean, honestly, considering what an asshole the mage is, maybe that part's for the best. But, because, like, that would definitely be a, like, you're going to need years of therapy to unpack that, which, you know, if you were to find out. It is very sad. Yeah, it's really awful. My other one is, it is not book related. I'm just seizing this opportunity to publicly have this rant that I have inside my head all the time. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. I'm so ready for this. I'm so right. ready. <laughs> so it's about the it's about the word, all right. Okay. Because Simon and and Penny say it to each other back to back. One of them says it, and then the other one says it. It's a full sentence on its own yeah. each time. All right is officially spelled as two words. All right. It is officially. Incorrect to spell it the way that it should be spelled, which is A L right, one word. There is no reason that this word has not been approved as an actual word and not considered like uh, inappropriate usage. Words that used to be all full stop and then the other word after it already, although almost always altogether, all of those words started off as two words. Right? Already used to be A-L-L space ready. Alright is the only one that's hanging out and like A-L-L space right does not mean the same thing as alright one word. I was reading about it in the example that was given in a thing that was being like you should never use it as the one word spelling it's incorrect was like but sometimes they do actually mean different things. It was like for example... Her test results were all right means something totally different from her test results were all right. One of them means she did okay. Uh... And the other one means she got them all correct. Like they're not the same fucking word. And we need to, I, every single thing (laughs) that autocorrects, I have taught my dictionary the quote unquote wrong spelling of all right, because fuck that. Everyone, please start using it as one word because the only way to get the dictionary to fucking update is for all of us to go rogue. Spell all right the way that it should be spelled. End rant. I I just learned so much. I honestly, I didn't actually catch that they say all space right. I just like, it was my mind just like, all right. And then just kept going. Because I have literally never spelled it that way. Because it doesn't make any fucking sense. No, it really does not. And I don't know. Someone needs to fucking page the Oxford English Dictionary to get on that. Marvin Webster. Right? Or like... the Merriam Webster. They're the ones that are like on top of, they're the ones, you know, run by millennials. Like, come on, y'all. <laughs> Update the fucking dictionary. Oh my God. Someone them add them. Like... <laughs> when this episode comes out, I will add them. Just like I just want like hundreds of people listening to this episode to all in one day be like, excuse us, could you please fix the fucking dictionary? It is time for an update. You know, actually, okay, your rant made me think of something, which, so I use an external spell checker grammarly because my spelling is really bad. It's probably some dyslexic thing that I need to figure out. Whatever. Anyway, it has never corrected me when I type all right as A-L- right 
and suggested that I use All Space Right. So It was their website that I got that example from. Really? They have a whole page on how the correct spelling is. That's so that's so weird. They have never suggested to me that I correct all right. Or maybe they have and we feel like that's weird. It's every book. I notice it every single time it happens because this makes me so angry. This is such a like passion <laughs> that I have. I am, about this. I am now only ever gonna pay attention to the way that all right is spelled in books and magazines. I've ruined this for so many people. I'm really <laughs> sorry, everyone. But also, welcome to my rage corner. <laughs> you know. No, th- th- this is great. I normally don't have any like grammar rage usually, and like this is—I don't know. This seems very harmless and fun to be angry about. Yeah, because it's not pedantic or like yeah. mean. Yeah. Or I guess it, the only people it's mean towards is people who write dictionaries, which I think is an <laughs> acceptable <laughs> place to put your grammar issues. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about sex? <laughs> Sure do! (laughs) Okay, welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Do you want me to start? Yeah, always. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking about thinking about all space way and i'm like what does that even fucking mean it doesn't mean anything like, <laughs> i write always as opposed to always means in no way <laughs> 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 Ooh. welcome to lark's grammar corner this has been great i love it cool i'm so glad <laughs> Right, sexy stuff. Um, you will have to correct me if I am incorrect, but this is maybe the first we get the first time they touch in chapter thirty-nine, where Simon is holding on to Baz's wrist hands. I have it written down. Yeah, wrists. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's the closest they've been since Simon stood menacingly over Baz <laughs> with his shirt off. <laughs> good times good times crotch to face just like lowering (laughs) across onto his neck like sorry um just fanning myself (laughs) yes it is the first time they touch i love it uh and they're like waiting for the like whatever it's called to go off the ammo still haven't looked up how you say that I'm going to say amaranth. That is not how you pronounce it. <laughs> That's a grain. Uh, <laughs> it's either anathema or anathema. I think it's anathema. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it didn't go off. And it's like, LOL, because you're not trying to hurt each other. You guys want to bone. That's why. Right. But in that moment, Simon is more freaked out for Baz getting kicked out of school than for himself. Like legitimately thinking that Baz is about to kill him. Yeah, that's true. Like, Simon. <laughs> that carried some weight, my friend. It, sh- it sure did. <laughs> um, the, only, and the only other thing I have is the two quotes that I found to be the sexiest of these. Or the, like, most, like, erotically charged sentences that we get. Yeah. So number one. <clears throat> and his lips naturally turned down at the corners. It's like his face was designed for pouting. You might as well just be like, his lips are made for kissing. She, like, And I stare at them all the time. Like That's basically what. Your lips, too blushing, something <laughs> ready stand to soothe thy rough touch with a tender kiss. <laughs> Incredible. Yes. <laughs> that is a very, a very telling sentence about how much time Simon has spent memorizing Baz's face. Yeah. I know. It's so homoerotically charged. That's right. <laughs> that was a very perfectly timed meow. Yes. Uh, the other thing that I like is also from Simon. He's so fucking smart. I don't know how I'm ever going to get the best of him. I wrote that down too. And then in parentheses, I wrote, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
guess. Spoiler alert! It involves kissing. <laughs> <It> sure. <does. laughs> um. Yeah. So. Aside from those things, the only thing that I have here is just how flustered Simon is when they get, when he's finally ready to tell Baz about the whole thing, to the point where he says that he's flustered. It's like, I'm unnecessarily flustered, and we're all like, eh, kind of necessary. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we get it, Simon. You don't get it, but we get it. <laughs> And now you're about to have this serious conversation with this boy and just like, you don't know what's going to happen. There's a kiss that you're supposed to give him. You know, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Here. I know, so many. So I met your mom. <laughs> she approves. She decided she's trying to get us together. Yeah. Just wanted you to know. <laughs> exactly. Uh Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. You should start off with you. Uh, Vampires don't get sick, which makes total sense when you're like, of course, they're dead. But makes less sense when you're like, but are they really dead? Yeah, it is. It is very confusing. Because it's like, are you sort of dead? But that doesn't make it. I mean, I don't know. Because right, because he says that like he can cry, which I feel like a lot of vampire literature makes note of different ways that vampires can cry. But he also pees, which I feel mm. like I've never read any kind of vampire literature being like, which doesn't make any sense. Cause I'm like, you drink, you're drinking blood, but you're cl- but like you can't be processing all of the stuff that's in blood. So like, what's going on with that? Unless it just like bypasses your stomach and goes straight into your veins but then it would just stay there but they don't breathe so the blood would eventually lose oxygen <laughs> i'm rewatching buffy right now and like <laughs> just this <laughs> when she drowns and angel is like over her and just heaving just panting and then turns to Xander and goes, I don't breathe. And it's just like, I don't know. It just is the <laughs> worst. The amount of time that vampires spend just breath heaving and then claiming that they don't breathe in Buffy is like, did no one tell them that they could maybe learn to act without doing like panting to designate? <laughs> exertion or emotion i don't know but baz has to eat and he clearly breathes so it is a whole different it is a whole different vampire lore yeah very true which we started with why wouldn't he get sick i don't know maybe if it's like a virus or a parasite or something it maybe it just knocks out all of the other immediately just attacks all the other you know bacteria and viruses that would make you sick yeah i mean i I guess it it could just it could just be magic he says it in such a way where it's like i mean he doesn't know anything about vampirism but he's like obviously i don't get sick but like bacteria eats dead flesh yeah so at the very least bacteria should be able to act on him and then it's like how would antibiotics work how would they circulate in your system so there must be a magic component yeah. I did appreciate, though, the reference that, like, the magical people in this world can get just regular sick and, like, need, like, vaccines and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Also, just love a reference to a vaccine. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Turns out vaccines are good in case anyone didn't know that. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine, like, anti vaxxers reading this book and just, like, throwing it across the room with that line? Like,. <laughs> Fuck Rainbow Rowell. Oh my god. Uh, um, okay, but speaking of speaking of vampires being dead, food and flowers take life, which Baz has to give. Not enough currently, but typically. Mm-hmm. So even though that's like a separate thing, and I do, I assume we're gonna talk about that as like its own 
piece of spell lore i think as part of the vampire conversation it's like well what does it mean if he is at least half dead which he said but he has the ability to do spells that quote-unquote take life take as in require yeah i guess i just feel like maybe he is not as quote-unquote dead as he insists he is and maybe it's like i don't know i guess i'm thinking about this because we were talking a lot about werewolfism in harry potter but maybe it's sort of just like it's kind of like that like you're not dead but you have kind of like you know you have an illness that makes you sensitive to sunlight and you have to drink blood also on top of eating regular food yeah i agree i agree with that the fact that he doesn't he's cold presumably he doesn't have like a heartbeat question mark i don't know so i feel like it's sort of the difference between like body dead and soul dead which we know that souls are real in this world because of the whole like the veil and like you know his mom baz's mom is trapped in the liminal space between Mm -hmm. earth dead and the afterlife as Um, is lucy right different well she's trapped in as a soul in the real world Mm -hmm. baz's mom is trapped in wherever the souls hang out until their resolution happens that's Mm -hmm. keeping that's making them able to cross through the veil yeah but i would assume that a a spell that requires life as a component of being able to cast it that's the kind of life that is like the the thing that makes you who you are as opposed to life like what makes your blood circulate in your body and your muscles move and whatever yeah 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 no that makes a lot of sense which i guess makes baz's assertion that he's half dead kind of accurate it's like he's body dead but not soul dead yeah the only thing i can't get past though is the fact that he's i mean presumably stopped growing but at some point was still like his body was still growing because like he said that he started he needed to start drinking blood when he hit puberty but you know the baz that we're seeing isn't like 11 year old pubescent kid like he's a teenager he's taller than simon yeah yeah it's so weird i don't know i know i don't know that's such a fantastic point jesse it's been i think it's been bothering me i'm just like but he he went from a baby to part of it is that me and nicole just watched interview with a vampire which has one of the only good parts of that movie is christina dunce is a like 10 year old like perpetual child vampire Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that seems terrible. So terrible. Yeah. Oh my god, what if Baz had been stuck in a five-year-old's body? Oh my god. That would have been so awful. Yeah. Man, if we can ever convince Rainbow Rowell to come on the podcast, I really want to know about the lore behind how Baz continued to grow and age. I mean, he does seem to be aging normally. Yeah, at least up to, at least at up to this point. And like yeah, I mean later in the book we meet adult vampires, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Though aside from Nico, we don't know when they were turned. And we don't necessarily get an impression of like what age Nico looks. That's true. That's true. I guess I just assume similar to whatever age Ebb is. Yeah, I look forward to investigating this further. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. We did it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we will be reading chapters 42 and 43. So read along. Escape from Reality is produced, mixed, and edited by me, Lark Malachi Gray, which I don't think I've said before, but it's true. And it's my job. The the whole job that I have. So... Now you know. Y'all can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet. And you can also find us on our website, thegailyprophet.com. We do not have separate accounts for this podcast because we are just two people and that is too much work. And too much money. <laughs> also that. We are also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet where people can get this show early. Yep. 
every uh, i mean things are a little wonky right this moment but every episode of escape from reality usually goes up early and also always has bonus content so if you're not a patron you probably missed out on some long tangents that are very funny but not necessarily related to escape from reality so you know you could join for that also jesse writes just the best fanfic for our patreon if you want to support us but you don't have money you should leave us a review and tell all your friends about us because word of mouth is how podcasts get out into the world this is a grassroots form of media uh if you want to know more of my thoughts about things you should follow me on social media uh, i'm on twitter at jesse underscore detroit and on instagram at live from detroit and i am on instagram at lark malachi that's l-a-r-k-m-a-l-a-k-a-i or you can also find my website using that spelling which is how you can get a tarot reading from me if you want one so our show art is by theo julian forrester and our theme song music is by Kevin McLeod, and all of the rest of the music you hear in this in this episode is from Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scatamoosh.